0: Welcome back to the Basement for episode 13 of Basement Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Kyle Meath. On this week's episode, we'll be talking about Syracuse Orange Lacrosse, specifically the last two games between Notre Dame and Hobart. But before we get started, let's do a quick overview of the Syracuse men's lacrosse team's history. They have the most NCAA championship titles at 11, 27 Final Four appearances, five undefeated seasons, 28 lacrosse Hall of Famers, and four United States Intercollegiate Lacrosse Association championships, which were given out before the NCAA gave out their own championship team in the In the 1971 season. So even before the NCAA got involved. Syracuse had an historic program. Alright. So let's start off with the first game. Which was between Notre Dame. The Orange got off to a poor start. And were down as many as 11 in the second half mainly due to turnovers on offense, poor or no slides on defense, and too, ma- too many minutes in the penalty box. Overall, the Orange gave up six extra man opportunities for the whole game, which is an astronomical number. Usually you see two to three extra man opportunities for a team in a given game. So that's double what you usually expect. So just not very disciplined. And many of the penalties were non-releasable penalties, which means even after the offensive team scores a goal, there's still a man down. The penalty is for the duration. It doesn't matter if the team scores a goal or not. So just very severe undisciplined penalties and for the longest time Syracuse couldn't get out of their own way. Luckily the Orange got on a fast start in the fourth quarter going on a 7-0 goal run but eventually Syracuse went back to playing the way they did in the first half and Notre Dame came away with the victory. Syracuse came into the game averaging a nation's best only 12 turnovers per game. Against Notre Dame, they had 23 turnovers overall and 15 by the end of the first half, leading to a Notre Dame victory over Syracuse 13-10. to 10. Just overall a very sloppy game for Syracuse. I'm going to give you the overall stats run down here so Syracuse had 45 shots to Notre Dame's 33 right there you'd think you know possibly a good stat for Syracuse but many of those 45 shots were from low angle locations on the field on the wings of the playing field and not many in the middle of Of the park where you want to want it to be you know places where the player has many options of where he can shoot the ball Notre Dame did a fantastic job forcing Syracuse to low success areas on the field causing a low shooting percentage for Syracuse this is really where the game was won for Notre Dame Syracuse had 20 three turnovers as I previously said to Notre Dame's only 16 but out of those 23 turnovers it was determined that only 10 of them were caused by Notre Dame so many of them were self-inflicted turnovers just many simple passes I noticed you know just to the adjacent man that uncovered adjacent man that you learned to complete in middle school in New York State. You learned to complete those passes in modified lacrosse. It was unbelievable. And many of Syracuse's players are from New York State, so they learned at a very young age, people. Not to brag, but New York is one of the top states in the country for lacrosse, so... These guys know how to catch and pass a a, a lacrosse ball. So there's there's really no excuse for only so if twenty if they had twenty three turnovers and ten were caused by Notre Dame. That means Syracuse had thirteen uncaused turnovers. That's unbelievable. These are D1 lacrosse players. They're not, you know, they're some of the elite lacrosse players in the nation. It just doesn't make any sense for that many uncaused turnovers. These are basic fundamentals of lacrosse to cap, (laughs) to pass, and catch. To get in, and some of this was to just get into their offensive plays some of these turnovers, or just to get the ball across the field in a clear. And they just fumbled the ball way too many times. You know, just venting frustration right now. Just venting frustration while giving you facts. It's what I do. Uh, So let's go on to more uh, stats. So Syracuse won the face-off battle Pretty convincingly, uh, sixteen to ten, which usually, if you if you don't know much about lacrosse, if you win the faceoff battle that convincingly, it's becomes much harder to lose a game. Goes to tell you how bad Syracuse's offensive execution was. The other key stat of the game that I previously talked about was the six extra man opportunities for Notre Dame. Like I said, many of them being non-releasable. By the end of the game, Syracuse's defense was obviously gassed, which probably had something to do with the poor slides. Um, during the end of the game for Syracuse in in lacrosse the slide man is called the hot man so you'll hear the if you ever get up close to a lacrosse game you'll hear the goalie bark out um, you know 18 you're hot 18 you're hot well in this game no one on Syracuse was hot for some of the plays for Notre Dame just very very unattractive for this game. No one was no one was hot for this game for Syracuse. They were just a bunch of threes and fours out of tens. So no one no one was a bombshell for Syracuse that day. And just overall just it was a huge opportunity for Syracuse in the ACC. They went to one in two in one in three in the ACC with that loss, uh, Notre Dame was ranked higher than them at the time. I believe it was a seven versus ten matchup, and just could have given them plenty of momentum going into the season. But after this game, instead of moving forward in their progression towards. The playoffs. Hopefully, they were moving backwards at the end of this game. Unfortunately, so let's fast forward. Let's see how they did the following week. Uh, a game that I actually had the pleasure of going to. This game was in Geneva, New York, for the the winner would get the Kraus Simmons Trophy, which is. The trophy for the winner of the rivalry between the Syracuse Orange and the Hobart Statesmen, the Battle of Upstate New York. All right, so Syracuse played much better in this game. They won 17 5, going on a 10 0 run in the second half. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. So Syracuse retained the Krause simmons trophy. The game was very close in the first half with Syracuse only holding a 7-5 advantage over their upstate rivals. But Syracuse exploded in the second half going on a 10-0 run to close the game. The key here was Syracuse's passing was much crisper. In this game, assisting on the vast majority of their goals. In the second half, Syracuse's defense shut down Hobart's statesman by shutting uh, down their hot hand, which was in the first half. It was Derek Madonna. Now this kid is a stud. Uh, I. Okay, here's a little bit of an overview of Hobart lacrosse. Um, they were a dominant D3 program going back many a years. And then they switched to D1 back in, I believe, the 90s. But don't fact check me on that because I'm not 100% sure. Uh, so eventually they went D1 They're D3 in every other sport except lacrosse. So they're at a little bit of a disadvantage when it comes to other Division I lacrosse programs because even though they are D1 in lacrosse, they still can't give out D1 sports scholarships for lacrosse because they don't have enough other D1 sports. I don't understand that rule. It doesn't make sense to me. If you're willing to put in the investment of a D1 program in college sports, I believe you should be able to give out the scholarships that go along with it. But either here nor there, I'm not going to complain about it anymore. Uh, I think it is unfair for Hobart. To have to play with that disadvantage. But, um, so, which makes it even more surprising that a kid like Madonna would end up going to Hobart. Because usually they don't, they get solid l- lacrosse players, but they get guys who are a little bit under the radar. And so they do get diamonds in the rough, but Don. Our Derek Madonna, excuse me, was on fire in the first half, sniping from long range against the Syracuse Orange. In the second half, they made the very wise adjustment of shadowing him, no matter what defense they were in, uh, for the rest of the game. So even if they were, even if Syracuse was in zone they would still have someone responsible for being on Madonna for the rest of the game because that kid was on fire hitting the corners from very far away. Which, um, if you know anything about lacrosse, the only way you're going to score from outside is if you're throwing smoke at, at the corners of the goal. Or sometimes, sometimes you can beat the goalie five-hole from up top, but you got to be throwing smoke. So the defense made the correct adjustments of shadowing Madonna, and no other statesman was obviously able to get going in the second half because they shut them completely out in the second half. But let's highlight some of the... Syracuse offensive players. Let's see. Steven Rafis show, showed off his playmaking ability with five points. And Jacob Buttermore, who I like to call the Butter King, showed off his cannon for three goals. You know, he's a lot like Madonna uh, in that he's got a howitzer. Madonna's a little bit more twitchy. And Buttermore's a little more physical in the way he tries to get to goal, but they both have a howitzer in their stick and they like to launch it from downtown. They are the, this might be a little hyperbolic, but I, yeah, I'll give an analogy. They are the S- Steph Curry of their team, so to speak. Okay, let's go with a not as great three point shooter and let's say they're Damian Lillard. There we go. We'll go with Dame Lillard on that one. So the, so Jacob Buttermore came alive finally after his great game against Rutgers a few earlier games. And one of the reasons Syracuse had been struggling on offense is Buttermore hadn't been able to find That production for the last few games since Rutgers, but he found it again today against, or he found it again last week against Hobart with his three goals. And then Nate Solomon, who is an attackman for Syracuse, did a great job with off ball movement and assisting for Syracuse. He notched in three goals as well. And then Jamie Trimboli from Victor, a local product, uh, got in two goals. And then another local product, Bradley Voigt from Penny kept slam dunking in goals for a hat trick as well. Now he is the equivalent of, for another sports analogy, he is their close range shooter. So in basketball, he's like their alley-oop guy. He's he's the best in-close, tight shooter that they have on the Syracuse roster. He can score in traffic with the best of them. I think the only guy that I've seen this year in college lacrosse that is better at finishing through traffic... Uh, Near the goal is um, Matt Godette from Yale. Other than that, I think Bradley Voigt is the best at it. Sometimes uh, he just, they can't get him the ball because they're, like I've said, they, they've clearly shown evidence of having trouble passing the ball in previous games, but uh, in this game they were able to Find him. Okay, going into our last topic about um, Syracuse lacrosse is if you know anything about Syracuse lacrosse, is they've had historic players. Uh, like I said, the I believe the twenty-eight lacrosse Hall of Famers that is a ridiculous amount obviously and with those legendary players have there's become a tradition of legendary numbers and one of those numbers is the number 22 now 22 for Syracuse has gone to legendary offensive players guys that have won the tour time which is the Heisman of college lacrosse it goes to the best player and not unlike the Heisman it it mostly if not always goes to the best offensive player in the country so Syracuse has had many of those. And they have all seemed to have worn the number 22. Players like the Powell brothers. So that would be Casey, Michael, and Ryan Powell. And then you got Jojo Marasco and Cody Jameson or more current players, along with Dan Hardy, who's another current player, or a more current player. And then you've got guys in the 80s and 90s, like Gary Gate and Charlie Lockwood. All of them wore the number 22 and were finalists for Player of the Year uh, in college lacrosse, if not won the award itself. Um, in two, Jojo Morasco, unfortunately, there's been a recent trend in Syracuse lacrosse. Uh, Jojo Morasco was probably the last legitimate, in air quotes, uh, number 22. Uh, after he graduated, they gave it to the number one recruit in in the nation, uh, Jordan Evans. Unfortunately for Evans and Syracuse, he didn't quite live up to the hype, mostly due to injuries and probably uh, the pressure of wearing number 22 at Syracuse. Okay, as you know, I I like to give comparisons. I would say um, wearing number 22 at Syracuse. Is a lot like wearing number ten at one of the in one of the best nations in soccer. So I'd say it would be like wearing the number ten jersey for Brazil or Germany or Argentina. Uh, you know that team has a bunch of uh, great guys. Um, on it, but you know, number ten uh, is not only the baddest dude on the team, but you are one of the baddest dudes in, you know, the whole world at the sport of lacrosse. Just like everyone knows, Neymar is one of the baddest dudes in the whole world for the sport of soccer. Or football, if you may. So Syracuse has not had that recently on their team. They've had a bunch of great guys. But none that really quite live up to the standards of a number 22. So so recently, since Evans graduated in 2017... They haven't given out number 22 to any player. And I don't blame them for not giving out the number since 2017. Like I said, no one on the current roster has really shown the powers of uh, the, uh, number 22. Okay, if you don't believe me, if you if you want to see how good some guys at Syracuse were... Wearing the number twenty-two, go and look up the Powell brothers, Casey Ryan and Michael. Go look up Gary Gate. Go go look up Charlie Lockwood on YouTube, and you'll you'll get my point. You know the uniforms uh, and equipment and video look dated, but their skills and athleticism still apply today. So the Syracuse. They have good guys on their team, but they don't quite live up to the number 22. Some of them show flashes of that ability, like Brendan Curry, Jamie Tromboli, Nate Solomon. But to wear number 22 at Syracuse, you have to do that not only for a, a few games a year, but you have to do that consistently. And on the biggest stages, Syracuse hasn't be- been back to Final Four weekend since, I believe, 2012-2013. Two- and that's the biggest stage in college lacrosse. And Syracuse hasn't been there. So that's the other proof of why there isn't a a number 22 on the team i believe if there were there'd be some more recent success i can't believe it but we're we're going on a decade of syracuse uh, last national championship and that is surprising but in other respects you know the sport is growing there are More players, more good players, more good players around the whole country. For example, Nate Solomon for Syracuse is the first, when he was recruited, was the first All-American lacrosse player from the state of Georgia. There are a ton of good players in California. Especially, that's one of the fastest places it's growing. Texas has a bunch of good players now. Ohio is quickly becoming even better and you know once that happens Ohio State will get even better. In some respects it's all actually not in all respects it is harder to get to college uh, Memorial Day weekend which is when the NCAA Final Four is held every year in every respect, it is harder to get there. But it is evidence of, you know, there being a lack of a 22 on the team because I believe if they did have a true number 22, that they would have been back to Final Four weekend sooner than they have. And just so you know, you know, It's not that, and there are players currently in college lacrosse that could wear that number. Um, I believe, you know, and it it truly is hard to find a a number 22 because I I believe there's only a handful of players in college lacrosse that could successfully pull off. Wearing number 22. And I'll, I'll give you the names right here. Um, guys like Pat Spencer at Loyola, Maryland, Jeff Teat at Cornell, and Grant Amon at Penn State. That's only three guys. That's only three guys in the entire country. <laughs> you know, and I'm probably being really. You know, strict on my standards. You know, some people would probably put a few more names on there. But that's how good the reputation of the number 22 is at Syracuse. That I only think three guys in the whole sport could pull it off right now. There are some younger players like Joey Epstein from... Johns Hopkins who I could believe could pull it off a little bit later but uh, you know these are the three guys currently that I would give the number to so that shows you how high the standards are for the number 22 and do I think Syracuse can get back to final four weekend this year I believe they can, but hopefully one, one of these guys like Brendan Curry, Nate Solomon, Jamie Tremboli, Jacob Buttermore will turn to that more that alpha role that can, what, when they need them to, on a consistent basis, beat their man one-on-one to either opening up a chance for them to assist or score the goal. On on too many occasions, I believe Syracuse cannot beat their man one-on-one without picks inside to free up guys like Bradley Voigt who need to be assisted to for him to score the goal. A high percentage of guys on this team that can't beat their man one-on-one, but there are select few like Curry, Tromboli, Solomon, and Rafis who can. They have to show that ability. I believe they are capable of doing that. They just need to up the cons- consistency for Syracuse to be able to reach the level that they are capable of. Alright, uh that's episode 13 of Vincent Sports Talk. And I'm your host, Kyle Meath. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I'll see you around soon, hopefully. All right. Bye.